The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen speaking peoples, the Songhees, and the Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, BC, Canada. Okay, if you don't already know Desiree Attaway, you can thank me later, but right now you gotta sit up, you gotta listen, because I've taken her workshops for years. I've, I've done her year-long program called Freedom School. I've done her Whiteness at Work seminars a few times. I've even been mentored by her personally. But this workshop she did this past September around time and our relationship to time and how time has been constructed as a tool of systemic oppression has been so alive in me for these past weeks. You know when you just know something and you kind of like, you know it in the background, sort of take it as a matter of course in a way, and then somebody articulates it and you're like, yeah, why aren't we always talking about time in this way, you know? So hearing her describe it this way was another way of getting at what I'm trying to say in my book, The Spirited Kitchen, about being in relationship to seasons as a way to resist capitalism and imperialism and supremacy culture. So I'm honored that Desiree agreed to take the time to revisit that topic with us here today. Also, if you've listened to the podcast before, you are aware of Desiree's work because my opening question, what identities do you lead with, is her question. So her influence on me is evident in every single episode. And it's been a long time since I credited her with that. So I want to thank her for that again. Desiree is a consultant and a trainer and a coach and a speaker who helps build resilient, equitable, and inclusive organizations. So she's worked for over 20 years in creating, leading, managing international and multicultural teams through like major organizational changes in over 40 countries. She has crafted and administered partnerships that have secured over $10 million in funding. She was the Senior Director of Mobilization for Habitat for Humanity and responsible for the planning of strategy and training for hundreds of membership organizations, more than 50,000 members. So she gets this, <laughs> you know, this is a person responsible for like the strategy and DEI plans for 1,600 U.S. affiliates and 1 million volunteers. Desiree understands time pressure my friends. So let's hear more from her now about new ways to understand time. Desiree, I'm so excited to ask you, you, the inspiration and originator of this question. I get to ask you, what identities do you lead with? Oh, um, I love that question, actually, which is why I ask it all the time. The identities that I lead with the most are definitely um, Black women, right? Like, um, as I navigate this white, dominant, Western imperialist culture, um, all of those systems of oppression try to tell me who I am. And um, every day I have to live and define myself, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Audre Lorde. And so every day within these systems of oppression, 
I have to get up and decide that I will I will define myself um, and not let these systems do that for me. So I am a I'm a black woman and um, would never want to be anything else. <laughs> I want to create a container for folks to be able to listen and, and have us more or less be on the same page here. So can we start with the context in which we're going to discuss time? I do what Bell Hooks instructed, where I anytime I'm trying to point to these interwoven systems, I just say capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist, patriarchy, which I don't think is actually the order in which she says it. But essentially, I think the gist is we're bundling it all together, these interwoven systems of oppression. Um, but some people I notice lately are using other terms like maybe um, racialized capital capitalism or late stage racialized capitalism. What are How would you describe the lens that you're bringing to this conversation about time? Yeah, so everything that I do is grounded in Black feminism, right? Like everything. And so I am like you, I am of the school of Mama Bell Hooks, right? Of, um, And I also, I like, I like the way that Bell Hooks describes it, seeing all the things, because I think when we talk about late, late stage racialized capitalism, we forget the empire. Mm. Right. And I think part of what we have to do is actively call out empire, mm -hmm. especially when we're thinking about time, because mm -hmm. what empire has done is go to cultures, right, and destroy the way that they have culturally for millennia dealt with time, right? Mm -hmm. um, looking at, you know, letting the stars and the tides and nature guide them. An empire has come in and said, fuck that, <laughs> right? Like that is wrong and built these systems to help, to help negate those, those ways of being and ways of knowing. Mm, mm. So when did you become aware of time as a tool of capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist, patriarchy? And I'm very curious about whether there was like a stage in your life or a certain age or like what was the context in which you were suddenly like, hey, this whole time thing is just a, it's a scam. No, right. Total scam. Right. <laughs> I always felt it, but I didn't have the language for it probably until last year. Hmm. It was really la like I always knew that something was off about it. Right. But I didn't have the language um, to really to really speak to that. And so it was probably last year when, and I think definitely in light of COVID, right? Yeah. So I would say probably in the last 18 months, time kept popping up as I'm talking with clients, right? As I'm doing work within organizations, like it just kept popping up. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do, I work a lot with a young woman, Jessica Fish. And so Jessica and I are always like, what's going on with time? Like it is... <laughs> Like, and so we started digging into it ourselves just so that we could be of better support to our clients. And then we were like, oh, this is juicy. Mm. This is really juicy um, to just really think about, to really think about time and kind of where it, 
where it comes from. And so um, what we heard and what we know to be true and that COVID just unveiled it for us is we are overworked and exhausted. And that has a lot of ramifications for us. And so the faster we uh, move, the more we work, less, the less time we have to dismantle the systems of oppression. Mm. Right, and this isn't by accident. There's some deep historical basis for this. And um, one of the things we learned is that time is a universal, it's like gravity, but this clock time, this normative time is a human creation. And we are tracking hours and seconds in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that takes us away from what we know to be true and I, I would say one of the things that I learned from you, right, is that most human experience, the most ways that we experience time is related to natural rhythms and sunrises and sunsets and seasons and astronomy and cultural rituals. Mm-hmm. But empire will take that away from us and has taken that away from us, mm-hmm. right? And so we used to wear watches i remember like don't you remember like (laughs) younger you'd own like three or four watches Uh and now it's the friggin phone right it's the phone that we are constantly right so Mm -hmm. um the ways that humans have manipulated time right weeks have been constructed and manipulated by empire Uh, so that we can work, right? Mm-hmm. Seven days has no astronomical basis. We mm-hmm. made it up, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Five-day, 40-hour work week is made up. This two-day mm-hmm. weekend is not based on the natural world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I hate when time changes. Like, Oh, yeah. No, I cannot even tell you how angry I become. Mm. I become incoherently angry (laughs) i hate waking up and it's dark outside yeah right and so and and i know people are like but i love having it be light at 4 30. i you know what my body doesn't Mm. right my body is out of whack because capitalism Mm -hmm. has made us manipulate time for businesses Mm-hmm. right for the charcoal industry like when we look and see who all we're lobbying for mm-hmm. a time to have so we can have longer sunnier days it's all these industries mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. we know there's all this research that says it's not good for our bodies mm-hmm. it's not good for our health mm-hmm. but it's good for capitalism so we'll do it mm-hmm. right and so it's just one of the many ways that um, there are these forces that interplay with time, right? And you named them all. Colonization um, is one of them. Um, white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. Capitalism, right? And we know um, capitalism, yeah, is where you know, everything is about the owners and profit rather than individuals and humanity, right? Um, 
taking empire and capitalism and industrialization, transforming our economy from agriculture to manufacturing, right? All of that led to our, our, the way that we use time nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you talk about that construct, you know, there there was a period after the French Revolution where they tried a new calendar and it had like a, a wild number of months. I'd have to look it up again, but it was like basically every, I don't know, it was like every week was 10 days and months were 42. And it, like, it was just like, a, it was something like so very random compared to what we're used to. And it had a very... um you know, it, it was a different political time and they had, they had different reasons for it, but it was incredible to me to go, oh, wow. Imagine if there was like a hundred weeks in the year, <laughs> imagine, no, right? like, yeah. and they were all based on like different, I think it was like partially around different guilds and different, you know, it's like, we're going to celebrate these different aspects of our culture and craft and they each get three days. <laughs> it was just like, wow, yeah. this was like way too much for people to track. They couldn't do it. Um, but I understood the idea that they were trying to create culture around time and then they threw that out. And then of course, left with capitalism, the culture that gets created around time becomes um, exploitation, basically exploitation yeah. and yeah. and commodification of human lives. Right. Um, we didn't need this kind of precision timekeeping until mm-hmm. industrialization because mm-hmm. they wanted trains to run. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what what time the train gets to Boise, Idaho, and what times it makes it to Montana, and what time is it going to be in New York, right? Like, mm-hmm. we had to run trains on time, and so we had to understand and keep an understanding of how they were not in sync, and we had to sync them. And so mm-hmm. that started with the railroad systems in England, mm-hmm. right, that standardized time across towns and borders and mm-hmm. lines, and now we have time zones and all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And we think about, again, um, empire and capitalism and globalization. Like when I work with organizations and you're a global org, guess what time everything is built around? East Coast time, baby. Mm. The market. Mm. Mm. So I can live and work in India. Oh, it it doesn't matter that I'm up at, you know, 11 o'clock at night taking a group meeting. Mm. Or I'm in Hawaii and every everybody's based on the East Coast. So, you know, I'm up at four in the morning to jump on that client call. Right? We build time around who's in charge and where mm-hmm. they located and honestly, their comfort and ease. Right. And so, yeah. And so globally, folks know this is a price I pay mm-hmm. for working with this organization. And again, thinking, what is that doing to our body? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you learn then as you and Jessica were diving into this juicy material? What did you learn about yourselves about, you know, what did you <sighs> learn about the Puritan work ethic? What did you learn oh, God, about yeah. internalized whiteness? What did you, what, what for you personally was like, holy crap, I need to change. Yeah. So, you know, that sense of urgency, which we know is a part of of um, white dominant culture. Um, And it's about how whiteness defines productivity and improvement and innovation, right? Because what they teach you is not that this system is wrong, but they teach you you're wrong. Oh, you're late. You're a procrastinator, right? Um, 
And what it really does is you never get to spend time in the present moment because you're literally always worried about the things you have to do. And do you have enough time to do them? Mm-hmm. So the real problem isn't our understanding of limited time. The real problem is that we've inherited a, a way to live that is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've come up with this really horrible way that we think about time. Like time can never be wasted. Mm. What? <laughs> like, right? Like you're wasting, like, what does that even mean? I'm wasting time. If I'm yeah, sitting it goes here on forever. <laughs> right, right, like exactly. <laughs> and if I'm sitting here talking to a colleague, spending time, building that one-on-one relationship, that's seen as being wasteful of time. Why aren't you productive? That's not productive, right? Mm-hmm. And we mistake this overloading of schedule as having some kind of authority as being needed, mm-hmm. which is BS, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that being in meetings for eight or 10 hours is something worth bragging about, mm-hmm. right? Um, we just don't spend enough time in the present with people. And what? And for me, one of the worst things that I, I learned is how we have raised our families to agree with this, right? Like, so, oh, I just got to go and jump on Slack really quickly before dinner, or let me answer these emails while I'm at my kid's soccer game. And, oh, I know I said we were going to be on vacation this week, but I got to work two days while we're at the beach. And our families go along with this, Mm -hmm. right? We've totally... train them right and so the research calls it time famine Mm. right this idea that we never have enough time Mm -hmm. and that this frantic pace is the only way that we're supposed to live right and we learn this from our bosses and our colleagues and our co-workers right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we wonder why we're like oh I you know something's going on with my nervous system I'm not it's obvious things like I'm not sleeping well Um, but that sense of, let's say we go on vacation and we're like searching for the lost object, you know, it's like something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. I often hear this from folks that even when you do create a bunch of space in your life, it takes a while for that metabolic set point of productivity to downshift and downregulate. And that's literally our nervous systems being shaped by our, uh, experiences of, how we're all regarding time, but also, as you mentioned, families, you know, this is neurobiological shaping that Mm. is happening to younger generations and it will physically impact how well they can rest in states of well-being or not as adults, you know, like not to like freak people out, but it's like, I take every year, I kind of get really focused on Yuletide for the last two weeks of December. And then everyone knows I go dark for all of January. And basically from like winter solstice to Emolk, it's like, that is my quiet time. But I'm telling you, Desiree, it takes me until mid-January no. for uh, my no, nervous system absolutely. to stop wanting absolutely. to like work. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and right. And so I, I think you brought up a really important point because I was just reading some some tweets and I've heard my 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 kids are in their early 30s, my nieces and my my own daughters are in their early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. And they hate being alone or eating alone, right? And 
And it's be, I think it's because it's this sense of, I always have to be doing something. And what do you mean sitting here by myself is like, it's, and I, and we did that to them, right? Like yeah. they learned that from us mm-hmm. and it has led to anxiety and depression and health problems. And it is, um, we got to name it, right? We have to see it in ourselves. And again, how that's impacting our own immediate family unit and then how that's impacting the commu- the broader mm-hmm. community. Um, Makes me think we've like internalized the big brother, right? It's like, it's, 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 it's gotten in. And of course, that is what capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist patriarchy wants to do. It's the most efficient way to police people is have them do it themselves. And I do it in my mind all the time, right? Like if I've worked all day and then I hear somebody else tell me that they worked two hours that day, I'm like, (laughs) you worked two hours. Right. And I have to step back and be like, ooh, okay, yeah. Nobody is supposed to work all the time. Mm-hmm. And again, so then we take this and we we think about how people experience time and how that is different across identities, mm-hmm. right? And um, one of the great things that I learned is we learn that some people's time are worth more than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Adults keep children waiting all the time. Children can never waste an adult's time, right? CEO Mm -hmm. can always run late to meetings, but you know, if you're a coordinator or an admin, you can never be late to a meeting with the CEO. Doctors Mm -hmm. always make patients wait. Yes. Patients can never make a doctor wait. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is, so then we really bring in class and race and gender. Um, intersecting with all of those things. Right. So it's not just bosses who benefit from time scarcity. It's basically anyone in the up power position. It's anybody in an in anybody with some power or authority benefits mm-hmm. from it. Mm. Mm. I'm just letting that sink in. Where do you notice this in okay, wait a second. No, <laughs> I've had got an example. So um, how much space we take up at the mic, <laughs> you know, the perception of who is talking more or mm-hmm. not. So, so there's those famous studies, right. Of men, w- when women take up, what is it? 15% of the time men, men think, think they've do- dominated <laughs> That's right. it. That's right. And I imagine there, I don't know if there's studies, but there must be something vice versa. If like yes. a person of color is speaking, they'll probably speaking 10% of the time and the white folks in the room feel that they dominated the conversation. I don't know if you've seen studies like that. Um, I've not seen that type of study, but it absolutely is right. Right. Like again, who gets to take up time in meetings, mm-hmm. right? Um, who gets to come not prepared to a meeting? Like who gets to come in and be like, well, I didn't read that, but you know, we're going to talk about it. Like it's right. all of that. Um, and and then it's the folks who have mo- the most marginalized identities are doing something that I learned about, which is called... Um, uh, like second shift. 
So there's oh. second and third shift. So you work your first job, right, which is the first shift. And then we know that care and domestic responsibility still lies mainly with women, trans, non-binary folks, a lot of folks of color, BIPOC folks. Um, and that we come home and then there's this exhausted second shift of unpaid work that happens at home of caregiving. Mm -hmm. And then they, there was something I learned about called the third shift, which is the emotional work necessary to repair the damage caused by all the time pressure. So every time I canceled on you, Carmen, mm -hmm. I now have to go and do and, you know, send emails or calls or texting around, oh, again, I dropped one too many ball and I need to cancel on you. Right. Right. And our homes aren't places of rest. Mm -hmm. They're more places of work. Mm -hmm. And a lot mm -hmm. of us, home is not a place of rest and restoration. It's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and especially and after COVID, when so many of us have moved home and now it's starting right. to seep in, there's the, we can talk about the pros of it as like, oh, it's nice because I can walk my dog in the middle of the day, that sort of thing. But also it's like everybody knows this feeling as an entrepreneur, it's been like this for so mm -hmm. long where it's like when people say, oh, so, you know, are you taking this day off? It's like as an entrepreneur, every day is a work day. But also every day could be a holiday if I wanted. That's but right. now everybody has this. Every day is a work day. Yeah. 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 It's so fascinating. Like all this stuff around time for me. And so, again, it's like once you know, you, you can't unknow this, right, as you're sitting here thinking about how am I living my life? So um, Jessica and I did a, a webinar on time in September. And I'm still getting responses from folks like mm -hmm. that day I was inundated with people going I was on your webinar and I cried through it because I just saw my life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know um I always thought it was it was me right mm -hmm. that I couldn't keep up no matter what tool I used or um you know what, and the guilt what, what yeah the guilt right what little mm -hmm. slick um um a tool or, or um, organizer, right, that I could buy right. one every year and not get it. And so mm. um, I'm like, yeah, it's not you, mm -hmm. right? It's not us. Mm -hmm. It's the system. Mm -hmm. it, and um, yeah, it's, it's the system. Mm -hmm. So Desiree, you though, so you're inundated with all these people because they're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you're really speaking to me. What does that do? That creates more time pressure for you. You're <laughs> holding space. You want it. So how do you personally resist that calendar pressure when of course you want to make a lot of impact, but you got to find that balance and the guilt of like not being able to do all the things you want to do in a scope that your body can sustain. How yeah. do you personally resist that calendar pressure? So um, like you, I do series where through the year where I shut down. Mm. And like you, it took me a long time to learn not to work mm -hmm. during this time period. But I also remember um, something that Trisha Hershey, the NAP ministry, always mm -hmm. says. And Trisha, and I'm paraphrasing it, um, but I actually usually have it at the bottom of my auto office. Um, godly. Um, it is something to the effect of, uh, you know, like, 
you need to rest so that you can be here so you can be here for the fight because mm. we need you here for the fight mm-hmm. right and that's just that's paraphrasing it but for me it, it is really important um and i will tell you i also am very clear about who i give that time to mm. right i give it to bipoc folks mm-hmm. right i i try to make as much space and time for them as i can in my calendar but i also shut down for five weeks and for winter break Mm -hmm. and then i come back and i'm gone for two weeks in spring and i shut down for a month every august into september Mm -hmm. and i build my contracts around that Mm -hmm. it is non-negotiable I cannot mm-hmm. do this work mm-hmm. if I'm empty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can imagine a bunch of people listening right now who are not self-employed, who are like, I am not living in this way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, this is real. So, this is real. Right? And so like very often, you know, it, it, the, the parallel that I'm seeing is like there are often people like, yeah, but Carmen, I don't have, I live in an apartment. I don't have a backyard, so I can't do your nature-based yep. activities of ritual, et cetera. And I'm always like, okay, but th- what's the scale? That the, That's the that's most right. important thing. And so maybe your nature connection is with the moon, which is accessible, you know? And so for people who have that time pressure and they are... Um, they, they don't have that same uh, agency. Are yeah. there like principles or um, yeah, principles you might share with them about how they can then prioritize given the constraints they have? So there are a couple of things I've been doing with senior leaders, CEOs, VPs of big orgs. I've been talking to them and telling them to shut down twice a year. Mm. Right. And everybody shut down. So that nobody has to worry about answering emails, right? Because what happens is I, I'll take my two weeks vacation and then my boss is constantly slacking me or sending me messages. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right? And and I what? I'm supposed to lose my job, right? I'm gonna answer it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this has to happen on two levels. Um, one thing I tell people is you can absolutely let everybody know, hey y'all, I'm leaving in two weeks. I'm gone in two weeks. And during that week, I will actually not be answering phone or email. This is who you can follow up with um, while I'm gone. I trust y'all. I know we're a great team. I'll see y'all when I get back. But this is how you have to know people, right? Because I have to know Carmen so that I can be like, yeah, Carmen's on vacation. Let's not bother Carmen, y'all. We can figure this out. And I need leaders with power up, all of its power to say, it is important that we all rest. And it is important that we take time. And if, so we're going to do that. Another thing I've seen managers do that I've encouraged managers to do, especially if you have like this unlimited PTO, which I think is the biggest lie on earth, right? We have unlimited PTO, but we never give people the time and space to take it. Or yeah. if they do take it, we somehow they're being punished in their performance reviews. Like mm, you weren't around all year long. Right. So one thing that I've really been encouraging companies to do is you give a $300 or $500 bonus to people who've taken PTO, a substantial amount of PTO during the year. Mm. PTO being paid time off. Paid time off, right? Mm-hmm. 
they get so, a bonus if they actually take if it. If you take it, right? You take three weeks of PTO for the year, you'll get a, a, a extra 250 in your check, the last check of the year. Nice. We have to create space for people to do this, mm -hmm. which means we can't be shitty managers. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We got to keep the humanity and we have to value more than productivity. Yeah. Right. I have to value Carmen because Carmen actually does a lot of emotional labor with my team, keeps them happy, listens to them, supports them in ways. And that is just as important as Carmen writing code all day or Carmen, you know, putting together the most fabulous spreadsheets on earth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's something too about attunement where, because there's a balance here between time is cyclical, it's always going to come back around. But then again, time is fleeting. There are times of the, there's only one time of the year when my entire rose garden is going to be in full flesh all at the same time. There's only one time a year when the forsythia comes on and that tells me I'm supposed to plant my peas. You know, I have my own things, but it's like, oh, this is happening outside my window and there is a period of time when the tomatoes have to get canned or they just start rotting and all that labor is like going to go off. And so there's a period where, yes, we there is urgency. That is a real thing because there is a natural cycle of things. It is going to come around again. But if I think about how long does it take to get good at growing tomatoes, well, 10 tries is a decade. Yeah. You know, you get one, like, so there's kind of like, okay, if we're playing a long game here, so in the corporate, we have to attune to like, oh, this is an important time for Desiree to take off because her kids graduating college no, or getting right. married or like, you know, this is an important time for her because this is a period of time, you know, her husband died at this time last year right. or whatever right. it is. You know, it's like there's something about attuning to each other's humanity of, yep, there's things that are going to happen every year that are going to come around. But there are also periods of time that are important to them that may not fit into the larger right. um, organizational structure. It's really tough. I think about, you know, for instance, Matt leave. I, I, okay, this is like going to mm -hmm. anger all the feminists, but actually when I have experienced like, oh, somebody's come into an organization, they're in a position of leadership and they just got hired and literally two months later, they're gone on mat leave. And it's like, wow, the whole team is fucked because we just thought we were getting support and that person's gone and now we're in the cycle again. And so it's, it's tricky. It's not the person's fault that they got pregnant, they're starting family, they're, they're leaving. Yeah. It's the organization needs to like get up to speed, but being exposed to nonprofit culture, it's actually, that's like one of the worst cultures I've ever seen for people exploiting time, especially exploiting time of people with marginalized identities, women, BIPOC folks. So that system, the capitalist system is, is, just so horrendous. It's really difficult to find that balance between um, here's what the collective needs and here's what the the pressure of the system is. It really does take all of us being on the side of the worker, really. Yeah. You no, know? it does. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, don't even get me going on nonprofits. I worked in them for years. Nonprofits <laughs> were, they were built to exploit women. Like the business model is exploitation of mm -hmm folks with marginalized identities um, centered in saviorism mm -hmm. and and with the with the false sense of you do it for the um, 
you know, you, you, you do it for the, for the org, right? You do it for um, the, the broader, mission. yeah, the mission. When the reality is most nonprofits I worked at literally gave no maternity leave, like did no kind of, no, seriously. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. yeah, I'm like, you know, it, we really have to think about not only what we're doing, but how we're doing it. So if the ways mm-hmm. that we are doing it are exploiting and oppressive to folks, then that's not the work. Mm-hmm. That's not what mm-hmm. we should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think, you know, whenever I think about all of this, I always think about, you know, reclaiming our time and how do we reclaim <laughs> time back? <laughs> and that's some real, real boundary setting, mm-hmm. right? Around what that looks like. And, and again, you're right. We have to create systems our orgs and our cultures that center the worker Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to, again, centering productivity. Mm -hmm. There's also this sort of implied moral imperative around time. (laughs) You, You mentioned it earlier about like, oh, how much is that person working or not? How do you feel about this notion that being punctual is a measure of respect for others because I, I I can really see a few different sides of that, but you hear it all the time. It's like, you know, you need to respect my time as though time is the person or time is what we're centering here because it has some moral value and, and it's equated with the person. And yet I think of like, God, when I was a single mom working by myself and like just trying to get shit done and get played. I just, how do you feel about this notion of, of like punctuality as a moral compass? I I think it has no, again, it is, it is neutral. It, I mean, it's no moral, anything tied to being on time. Um, So one of the things that I've really um, learned about more is, you know, how, um, in Hawaii, there's Hawaiian time. And, you know, for Native folks, there is, um, right, there, there's Native time and there's CP time for, for Black folks, right? Like CP time. I don't know what that is. Yeah. So it's color people time. That's, oh, okay. that's what it is in the U.S., <laughs> okay. CP time, color people time. Okay. Um, but, and, and what I learned is that these were active ways of resistance, right? Um, and it's being purposefully late, right? Um, is what I learned about uh, Indian time, right? It's this, it's it's really talking about this purposeful lateness, um, because Black and Brown people are constantly being monitored, constantly being evaluated, and these are intentional acts of resistance, right, mm-hmm. to this overarching framework um, of time under capitalism, right? And so. I, again, think it is more nuanced than, oh, you're being disrespectful. I think it is, who are you? What is the context and what is happening, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, mm-hmm. it, it, right? And again, like you, I was a single parent with two kids. You know, what does it mean for me to get out of the house? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. I could have, you know, um, be in chronic pain or all these other things, right? That makes it more difficult for me 
to be going around some standard, honestly, made up understanding of what time is. And for us to put morals, you know, to put some moral connotation on that is really where we just are connecting with um, the Christian church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which tells mm-hmm. us we have to live in this binary of good or bad or right or wrong. Um, we all have different orientations to time. And um, I think we feel that it's disrespectful because we fall into this lie that time is money. <laughs> and so, again, you're wasting my time by being late. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that is saying that we prioritize productivity um, and meeting deadlines over human relationships. Right. Right. That human relationships piece makes me think too, that it's like, it's po- it's totally possible that somebody is chronically late in a rude way. If they have a ton of social power, they have a ton of privilege and they're like not being aware. Right. right? So right. I'm not, yeah, it's sort of like, yes, people can use time in a rude way. Right. <laughs> I, but I think the majority of people are just, again, trying to navigate all these yeah. systems. Yeah. Right. They're just Smuggling trying to for... live. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so yeah. I will say to you, what's more important? Do I want to stay in relationship with Carmen or not? Because mm-hmm. if I want to stay in relationship with Carmen, then I understand Carmen is probably going to be late. Right. <laughs> and I'm okay. And I yeah. have to be okay with that. Because what's yeah. more important that I meet you at five o'clock exactly, or that mm-hmm. I get to stay in relationship with Carmen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. This understanding of orientation around time, um, it 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 disconnects us from from our humanity with one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's amazing how we can feel it without needing to say anything. Like we can yeah. feel the pressure around us, even if it, it isn't overt, there's this, there's a, there's a vibe <laughs> that we can feel when, when it's like, oh no, it's, it's, it's okay that you're late or no, genuinely it's okay. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> you know, like, and it may take some, um, you know, really somatic unlearning because our nervous systems do get conditioned to that fight or flight response of like, oh, there's disapproval in the field. Yeah. <laughs> there is like a sense of that. So it, it is on us to like truly do our inner work that we can convey like, nope, relationship with you is the most important thing. And so yeah, I'm going to yeah. try not to send that vibe. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's also because we see time as linear. It is spent, saved or wasted. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That time should be managed, that it can be corralled, that we can do all that. Um, and yeah, and I just don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I use connection to these eight micro seasons of the year where it's like, and it's more or less based on, for me personally, uh, my Scottish Highlander heritage. I I didn't like grow up this way, though I did grow up with a grandma who was very, excuse me, bless you, um, 
who was an entrepreneur, but also a uh, gardener. So there were like times of year where it's like, okay, this, this weekend or three day weekend, we're all harvesting. But my grandma also did this thing. She was like in Amway and all that stuff. And she would Mm -hmm. like win, win, whatever travel. And so she was like, I am going to Hawaii in the winter for a month and you kids, you all take care of it. You know, like (laughs) she was, so I did grow up with like, kind of a model of there are times of productivity and there are times to relax. And so for me, looking out the window and having more of this agricultural orientation helps me to resist that urgency to and the, the pressure to be productive. Is there something that you use that orients that you orient to to just make sure that you're aligning to your values? Like wh- how do you check in? Is it just the are you like a camel where you're like, oh I, I go, 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 and then I get my month in August? Or are there like micro things that help you kind of pause and track during the week yeah. or during the month? Yeah. So let me be clear. I didn't, it wasn't easy for me just to be like, let me take off a month. I started (laughs) off slowly. Mm. I would take off Fridays only in the summer (laughs) and I would build that up. Like it really takes some unlearning, some deep unlearning. So I think now, um, what I, uh, what I like to do is I am like a camel in the sense that I know that I gotta, I gotta stretch and Mm -hmm. I can make it to that stretch. Mm-hmm. But um, I've really grown more and more to not work on weekends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, f- and for me, one of the, and, and I'm lucky enough that one of the ways that I'm able to do that is my office is upstairs. Mm-hmm. And so I don't come upstairs on weekends. Mm-hmm. Like I came up here this morning. I hadn't been up here since Friday around 12, 31 o'clock. Right. Because right? um, I had some errands and things to run in the afternoon. But yeah, like if anything is an emergency that happens, I can see it on my phone. And if I were to need to come up, I could do that. But there's no. And so I actually love inks and fountain pens and things like that. So I have had to make a separate space so that I can do that and not be at my desk. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, and I know that's difficult, right? Um, I, I get not everybody has that, but I think there are small things that we can do, um, whether that is sitting on the porch with your coffee or, you know, not touching any electronic devices until you are actually working. Um, and just it's very physical it. what you're describing. Yeah. Sorry to for, keep interrupting, but like, no, no. I'm so I'm, I'm, I'm I this connection between time and space and, and your body within time and where it is it's just like having coffee on the porch that's like a whole different ritual of connection that even our dog if it, you know in the morning our dog is like oh you're having coffee in bed like she's like let's go to the porch that's our together right. no, that's time right. you guys you have a different vibe when you have your coffee on the porch yeah this is y'all are different very people illuminating. that's mm-hmm. right no, yes. and no, y'all are different people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and so it is for me, it is that, that level of, of bringing in these, these small things um, to help me separate. Right. Mm-hmm. Really, and, and it's also having somebody to hold you accountable. Right. Like Jessica and I will usually connect on a Friday and I'll be like, you're not working this weekend. Right. 
And you're right. They'll be like, well, I have these two things to do and we'll talk about, they don't have to happen this weekend. Right. Like you get, or give me one, you take the other, right? Like we do that for each other. So Mm. I would say, find somebody that can help hold you accountable around making sure that you are, um, you're, 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 you're building that muscle, right? You're building that muscle. Um, Right. And I I think our our kids can help us do that too. Mm-hmm. when we listen right when we listen yeah they'll give us clues even mm-hmm. if they're not saying explicitly can you exactly. not work they're exactly. probably asking can you do this with me can you do this with me yeah. right and your partner too like mm-hmm. you know can 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 you do this with me like can we make that happen for us mm-hmm. um all of those things are really important I'm thinking as someone who is a boss, you know, I have multiple team members uh, and contractors and that sort of thing. And and probably a thing I need to say is, can you tell me when you, like I, I have said, can everybody tell me when you want time off at Christmas so that I can just, you know, wrap my mind around it. And anybody who wants to do anything extra, January is a great time because that's when I'm going away. But something like that uh, of like, tell me what, you need so that you can really rest when your friend is here out of town. You know, like I could be like, oh, you have a friend coming from out of town. Can we have a conversation about when you want to be off? Yeah, exactly. Do you want me to send you a bunch of stuff front end so you can dip in and out? Or do you, are you just like, nope, I want nothing. And and we can be flexible with that. We can be absolutely. This this time and next time we can do something else. Like, absolutely. Because I do know sometimes when you have a lot of tasking pressure, like for me, I'm like, I actually won't be able to relax without these little things done, but I want to do them at a, I want to be able to pick them up at whatever, 10 at night, because now I'm relaxed, I'm in a good space and I can just, boom, I can get in and I'm in the right headspace. Doing that task will feel better than trying to leave it <laughs> for three more days. Everybody's work style is different and it changes constantly so I as a and what you're doing is you're you're putting the relationship above the task yeah yeah right which is poly that's a polychronic understanding of time right when we're polychronic what's that okay oh so there are two there are two words so um monochronic and polychronic okay and so monochronic is 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 clock time right that is the, that's our understanding of, you know, there's a task. Um, that's what schools and every management practices, everything is run on monochronic. It is linear. It is, you know, you spend it, you save it, you waste it. It is to be managed. Um, the pace of work, the amount of work, deadlines, all of that. Is, and that we're all, we all have the same capacity. And we all have We've the, all same, the same capacity. hours as Beyonce. That's right. As Beyonce, right? Exactly. Right. Like, it's that. That's, a, that's exactly it. And then polychronic cultures, a lot of South African, um, a lot of African, South American understandings of polychronic culture are ones where we put relationships first. Mm. Right? Um, it's where... Um, so in a monochronic time, it's, you have 30 minutes for lunch, right? Polychronic is like, no, it's, it's like Spain, right? We have hours because it's not just eating the food, but it is the relationship and the community that is built when eating the food. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's polyclinic is not ruled by a calendar or schedule. It is adjusted to give folks what they need when they need it. Mm. And then we figure out where we get that time from, mm. right? Um, it's meeting the needs of people around you. <clears throat> and so, and, and polychronic people will tell you that your worth is not dictated. Your character, your worth is not dictated by punctuality, mm. right? Because they see, again, the relationships of in people is the most important. Mm. It's the mm. most important. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, there's a very, I don't know if it's just American, it's probably North American. Um, let's call it, it's like a new world uh, disdain for, let's say the French. It's like, oh, they take so much holiday. They have like a, a you know, five weeks every summer. And we kind of like look down upon that as like they are um, weak or feeble somehow, right? <laughs> Whereas when you go there, it's like, yep, no, everyone understands it is too hot to work in August and we are like not going to be in the city. We are all going to the country or the, the ocean side or we're just, we're closing our shutters all day long because it's just too hot to be in this um, urban environment, you know, yeah. or it's like, or there's other, it's too hot to be out in the fields, whatever, wherever you are. Um that seems, I don't know if their entire culture is polychronic, but there is a polychronicness to the idea yeah. of like the environment. And that's Southern Europe. Supporting. Yes. Yeah, right. So Europe. that France, Spain, Italy, right? Greece mm -hmm. has this understanding mm -hmm. of a more polychronic understanding of time. And right. so what, what my research showed me, which was really fascinating, was that after the EU was formed, there've been this pressure, <laughs> right? Yeah to try to get France to give up mm. that month. And there've been pressures on Spain around closing down for siestas. siestas. Right. And they're like, absolutely not. Like, so that that's right. Like, so it's so fascinating, right? Like the EU is like, well, y'all would be more productive. Right. And we'd be able, again, coming from this more um, monochronic. And we can think like, time and geography, right? Because we think about the South and the US. I don't know how Canada lays itself out, right? But people in the North consider folks in the South as lazy and inefficient. Right. Right. Because culturally, there's more of a polychronic understanding of time. Right. Well, and it's so interesting when I think about the space piece again and the geography, because there are times in the North where it is too fucking dark to do very much. And so we all get quiet in that January time. You know, it's like, let's all just go inside. And it's like, we're, we can't do anything now. So That's now right. we do, we tell stories, we sit by the fire, we do hand knitting, whatever it is kind of thing. And then when the sun comes back, we all emerge, we emerge. similar That's to right. the Southern hemisphere where it's like, it is too freaking hot to do anything at these mm -hmm. hours of the day. And so we just don't. And, and our bodies are telling us this is like not a good time to be productive. Um, it's so interesting. And so we're all sort of like, that's the lateral version of the East coast time. We're yeah. all in like a temperate climate. <laughs> No, we are. We are. Monochronic kind of phase. Yeah. And what, another really fascinating thing that I'll tell you quickly that I learned is, do you know where the word deadline comes from? No, it sounds like it's going to be horrid. It is going to be it? horrible. Oh. 
so the word deadline comes to us from the American Civil War. And it literally, uh, you do not cross the line that would get circled around prisons and guards. And they were given the order that if you touch or pass over that line, you were dead. Oh. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> so just like, how did that, how did that become related to time? Right. So it was, you know, you have up until this point to get everything done. Oh, and if yeah. you missed the, if you missed it, if you crossed it, you're dead. Then you're dead. just like you have this space, this line you can't cross, and they mm -hmm. like took that from. Oh gosh, that is yes, that's so literal. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow. Was there anything else before I move to ask the last question? Was there anything else you wanted to share about like your the biggest change? Or the biggest insight, how did it impact you to see this pattern and have it, you know, sometimes I talk about how you can look up at the night sky and you see a million stars and it's like, oh, that's beautiful. And then all of a sudden you see the Big Dipper and those lines are not connected, but we have a felt sense in our bodies of locating ourselves because we're like, oh, I see a familiar pattern. And now that I see that familiar pattern, I can, I'm in relationship to something in a more specific way. Is there something that happened for you in looking at patterns around time that has just totally changed how you're orienting to that? It's like changing your life. Um, I think for me, it is really unlearning the sense of, I have to be productive every minute of, of the day. Mm. that time is to be managed mm. um, and, and, and wasted, mm -hmm. right? And I used to think about like when my kids were teenagers and they would just like sleep until two mm -hmm. and I'd be like, ah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the reality is as long as everything, like, what like why did i need them to be awake again mm -hmm. when their bodies were saying they needed this but mm -hmm. i was trying to push that aside and saying no you got to show up this way and so i think about that i think about um what that means for me and my work and what does it mean for me to say you know what i'm actually really tired right now mm -hmm. um i'm not gonna make this deadline Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to meet that. And so one of the things that I have been doing, and this has happened since COVID, is when I'm kicking off with a new client, I talk about grace mm -hmm. and us being and living still in a global pandemic mm -hmm. on top of late stage racialized capitalism. Mm -hmm. And how can we show each other grace mm -hmm. and understanding we're going to try and keep uh, keep a schedule, but we're going to be flexible around that. And we're going to give people what they need when they need it. And that's not going to be what guides us and our work. Mm -hmm. And since I've done that, it's been, it has changed, I think, how clients feel, right? They get to breathe easy, like, oh, okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and so for me, it's really important that we model that with folks. Mm -hmm. We model it. Um, 
and we show them that there's another way of being. One of the greatest things that these systems do to us is they take away our imagination and our understandings that we can we can show up differently. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, and that grace isn't going to cost us something because yeah. this isn't a spend waste hoard <laughs> right. kind of situation. Time is not mo- right. Time is money. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. the worst thing I think we've ever taught each other. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. So as a return guest on the show, I'm not going to ask you the, the question we asked before, which was about grief and rage. So I want to end on the follow-up question to that, which is, where are you finding joy and pleasure these days, Desiree? Oh, I am finding joy and pleasure um, from creating really peaceful physical spaces around me, time and space, right? Like, um, that's really um, been really important to me. Um, I moved into a new place earlier this year and just making sure that it is as peaceful um, for me and, and, just helps to like bring me down and ground me as I do this work is really important to me um, and has been been bringing me a lot of a lot of joy um, and I would also say just getting out and um, connecting more with a community my new community around here mm-hmm. has been bringing me a lot of a lot of joy and happiness um, mm-hmm. and just trying to find my footing in this mm. in this new this new town it's been pretty wonderful mm. i can feel the peace entering my body as you're talking about creating peaceful spaces and and then yeah holding a vision of you settling into a new community and having neighbors and people around being in a physical space experiencing peace and like spaciousness around your time. I want that for you. Yeah. I I appreciate it. I really, really, you know, I was helping take care of my mom who had knee replacement surgery in her house and it was great being there with her for a few weeks, but I just realized how much easier I breathed when I got home. Mm -hmm. And I love my mom and we get along so well. And so all of that was really wonderful, but just like, I was like, oh, that's right. This is this is my space. And I've created and curated something here that speaks to me on a very deep level. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just, I just felt my nervous system just easing the minute I walked through the door. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds so nourishing for your soul. That's nourishing to hear about it. Yeah. Well, thank you I so much for thank all your you, teachings. Carmen. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for your time. We really appreciate being on the show. Thank you for having me. My friend, do yourself a favor and check out the show notes at numinouspodcast.com where you'll find links to Desiree's program, Whiteness at Work. It is a -a one-of-a-kind primer on intersectional race equity work. Um, And she just, isn't she bad? Yeah, you just want to spend time in her presence, right? I'll also post a link to follow her on Facebook. I personally am not on the Book of Faces much these days, but she was like the only thing that kept me there for as long as I was. 
Okay, so that part in this episode where I was talking about the calendar after the French Revolution, it's actually a part that was edited out of my book, which is like why I wasn't remembering it very well. But it, it was cut from the final chapter of The Spirited Kitchen, the chapter called Harvest Home, where I'm like wrapping up the wheel of the year and, and showing how the cycle begins again in late summer and early fall. So for you, my friends, I have picked it up off the cutting room floor, this paragraph, and I'm going to read it to you now so my previous point is made a bit more clear. It goes like this. A barn dance may seem a rather distant concept for most of us moderns, but the wistful desire to return to a more agricultural rhythm is an appeal that's tugged at urbanites since the French Revolution. In fact, for more than a dozen years after the abolition of the Ancien Régime, the French government instituted a new republican calendar that was completely erased of all royalist and religious influence. Instead, the year began on the autumn equinox, demarcated with a Roman numeral and described as year one of liberty, and so on, year two of liberty, year three of liberty, and so on. It is for 12 years. Months were 30 days long, three weeks of 10 days, called decades, and they were named after their predominant agricultural task or weather pattern. So from fall equinox forward was the Vendémiaire, from the French Vendage, or the word vintage, referring to the grape harvest. Then late October onwards was Brumaire, from Brume, for mist. Late November was called Frimaire, due to the frost. So instead of each calendar day having an association with a saint, they were assigned a name connected with the rural economy, such as an agricultural tool or a common animal or a plant. In this micro season, from late September through October, every single day was associated with a treasured companion in the collective work of communal sustenance. This included chestnut day, horses day, amaranth, parsnips, potatoes, straw flowers, winter squash, donkeys, buckwheat, sunflowers, the wine press, hemp, barrels, figs, plows, Jerusalem artichokes, turkeys, honey, the pickaxe, the roe deer, the cypress, sugar maple, pine nut, the cork, and the shovel. What a lovely year of ritual this would be. Imagine recording what you see and use and treasure each day to revisit it with honor every year, or to create your own calendar with the number of weekdays and cycle of seasons that works for you. Through simple acknowledgement, we can weave the act of devotion into the rhythm of the season based on where we are. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I wish that stayed in, but I, I had like 20,000 words to cut and that was cut, but I'm glad we got to share it together. Okay, the listener shout out today is to Shelby A. Smith. Thank you, Shelby, for your review. I see it on Amazon. It's titled Nourishment for the Body and Soul. Shelby said, this book is a gift. It feels good in your hands, substantial, sturdy, beautifully bound, with weighty pages and gorgeous photos. Side note, 
photos by Stephanie Ray Hull of Centric Photography. Absolutely stunning. My soul sister, my collaborator. Thank you, Steph. Back to Shelby. Shelby writes, the recipes are well chosen with simple and accessible treats as well as aspirational dishes. It's the kind of cookbook you can come back to over and over and hand down to the next generation in your bloodline or milk line. That shows that Shelby's actually read the book because that is in the book what a milk line is. But more than that, Carmen has written a book that is so nourishing to the soul. The rigor with which she approaches the scholarship the accessibility of the frameworks she lays out for bringing ritual, meaning, and connection to the wheel of the year, the grounding in social justice she provides are all deep medicine for our time. You can just feel the worthiness and authenticity of this offering. Treat yourself and your loved ones. Shelby, I'm touched. I'm really moved. Thank you. Thank you for that. I also want to read, so last episode I read this really awesome, also very touching um, review from Laura, and I actually didn't read the best part of it, so I'm going to read this to you. Laura is clearly an awesome writer themselves. Laura wrote, a big brava to Spaniola on the birth of the Spirited Kitchen. I'm only partway through, really savoring it, but I'm already really loving the simple beauty of the photos and the eclectic mix of essay, advice, history lessons, crafts, and recipes. Here's the, like, awesome thing they said. In a micro-genre packed with lackluster and copy-paste-level material, Spaniola has created something original, worth a place on your bookshelf or kitchen counter. Okay, just, like, raising my hands up to Laura because the micro-genre packed with lackluster copy-paste-level material. Preach, my friend. (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. So thank you again, Laura. Thank you, Shelby. Reviews really matter. That's how the algorithms keep the book in front of the right clients and right readers. So uh, Goodreads, Amazon, I super appreciate that. Okay, wrapping up here, a couple things to be aware of. Free week is happening again in the Numinous Network, November 27th to 3rd. And then right after, we roll into the Spirit of Yuletide, my annual program spanning December 21st to January 1st. That's like the heart of it. Um, That's the period of daily folklore podcasts and mini meditations. But really the month, the whole season of Yuletide kicks off on December 3rd in the network. And we have live workshops in vermouth making, himaly making, as as seen in the Spirited Kitchen, uh, wreath and garland making. So if you liked how the Yuletide chapter was laid out in the Spirited Kitchen, you will love how it comes alive in the network throughout December. And then also I'm leading a Wilderness Quest in 2023 and applications close November 30th. So to get more details about all these kinds of things, just to be in the know, but what's happening in my spirited kitchen maybe we can align with your spirited kitchen like what is happening can we come together and like be in the wheel of the year together at some point you should make sure you're on my newsletter so sign up for my newsletter on my website at carmenspaniola.com c-a-r-m-e-n-s-p-a-g-n-o-l-a until next time take care <laughs>